Well, we're going to study, uh, start a study tonight on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Lord willing, this will be my procedure uh, from the pulpit as I move into the pastorate. Uh, in August is, if the Lord lets me, I want to preach expositionally uh, through books of the Bible. Next chapter, next verse. And uh, for some of you, 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 you might wonder, you know, well, what about when the, the big things happen in our country? Are you going to speak to all the causes and, and, and all, the, all the, the hot topics and all of that? If you come and ask me that, I'll tell you, well, we're going to speak on the next chapter and the next verse. Well, when are you going to talk about this? Next chapter, next verse. If the next chapter and next verse talk about what you want me to talk about, then hallelujah. If not, you'll need it too. And uh, that's the way I feel that God would have us be fed, is, is preaching the Bible as it was written in the can, place in the canon of Scripture, verses, chapters, and books. And we're excited to start a new study of 1 Thessalonians. I'll tell you why here in just a moment. Let's read verses 1 through 3 as we begin the series tonight. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timotheus... And in the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And here's the verse we'll settle in on tonight. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The title of the first message of the series is this, The Marks of a Thriving Church. The Marks of a Thriving Church. In 2001, just at the start of his pastorate, my dad began a series through the book of 1 Thessalonians. How many remember that? He called it the model church. I'll tell him, nobody remembers. His brother remembers, courtesy vote. It was actually really good. I looked at his notes, he sent me all his notes, it was solid. But he opened up his series with this quote. He said to the church, I'm not interested in being an average church. I have absolutely no desire to build some kind of monument of mediocrity at 216 West Wilson in liberal Kansas. And to that I say amen. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to God that he has given this church pastors... My dad and before, who have refused to settle for the status quo. I'm thankful that, that through the leadership of our pastors up to this point and the cooperation of its members, Fellowship Baptist Church has not become a monument of mediocrity. But in many ways has become a thriving, gospel-preaching, sinner-reaching, God-glorifying Baptist Church. I don't say that as a hot button to get amens. I'm truly thrilled about that. You see, the reason why I want to preach myself through this series focusing on the Thessalonian church is quite frankly because I too have a desire to continue Fellowship Baptist Church to be a thriving, to lead Fellowship Baptist Church to continue to be a thriving church. And I have no desire, as all the previous pastors had no desire to build some kind of monument of mediocrity at 310 West Pancake in Liberal, Kansas. Listen to me, church. I don't want to pastor a church that thinks they've arrived. I don't want to pastor a church that is comfortable where they are and 
satisfied with who they've reached and content with their measure of influence. I desire in the deepest parts of my heart to pastor a healthy church, a growing church, a doctrinally sound church, an outward-focused church, a thriving church. And the Thessalonian church really is the poster church in many ways. They were a thriving church in the midst of a hostile world. So much so that chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul's saying they were an example to other churches in their area for what a thriving church should be. So we begin our, our study of this book, we're going to look at verse 3 primarily where Paul gives us three characteristics that mark this church as a thriving church, but, but listen, before we can really appreciate the Thessalonian church and what made them a thriving church, we have to understand the world in which they thrived. It was hostile. Would you turn back to Acts 17? I'll show you where this church first began. Let me hear your pages turning. Acts chapter 17. We're going to spend a few minutes studying the world in which this church thrived. It's going to help us to appreciate the quality of this church even more. Acts chapter 17, I want you to look at verse number 1. Follow me, please. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Look up here. We know a few things about this city. I think it's important for us to grasp this. That geographically, they were a Macedonian seaport city. Commercially, they were strategic in that there was a road that, that linked Rome with its eastern empire, and that road ran right through the city of Thessalonica. Numerically, there were about 200,000 people. Spiritually, they adored many false gods. We'll talk about one later in the series, who they mainly adored and mainly worshipped, the god of Jupiter. Morally speaking, this city was one of the most pagan cities of their day. It was a place of open sin and rebellion where, where its citizens thumbed their nose at the very thought of God. And this is the city where Paul and his missionary team found themselves right after they started the church of Philippi. Listen, they didn't walk into the Bible Belt here. They walked into a large, influential, pagan city that wasn't known for its friendliness towards Christians. And doesn't it seem like the Apostle Paul and his buddies like starting churches in these kind of places. He just left Philippi. Do you know what happened in Philippi in Acts chapter 16? They were beaten and they were imprisoned. And by a supernatural earthquake, God let them escape. And where did they go? To another godless city. To another pagan city to preach the gospel. And look at Paul's technique. Look at how it started. Verse 2. Or let's go to the end of verse 1. They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, that's three weeks, reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that his Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. That's the Gospel. And some of them believed, consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So here's what Paul did. He went into this godless city, as was his typical approach. He started by preaching the gospel in the Jewish synagogue. He preached there for three weeks. 
says a few Jews got saved. A lot of non-Jews got saved, including some of the upper-class Greek women. And it's at this point where we're really introduced to the world in which he was preaching. The hostility of the city in which he was starting this church. Look at verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. It's a, it's a gang of thugs. And gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, that's a pretty good compliment, are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. He's talking about Paul and Silas. Jason let them into, the, into his home to start the church. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security or bond of Jason and of the other, they let them go. So, so here's what's happening. Paul preaches the gospel. Few people get saved. And the Jews get mad and envious, begin to persecute the believers of this new church. And they tried everything in their power to shut them down. They formed this gang of thugs. They went and knocked down Jason's door, made their way into his house. You know who they were looking for? Not Jason. Not the lay people of the church. They were looking for Paul and Silas. These guys had a reputation. They were going to lock him up. They were going to persecute him. But Paul and Silas weren't there, so they took Jason in, accused him of treason, but decided to give him bond or security, as the text says, so long as they did not continue. When Paul, Apostle Paul found out what they did to Jason, he told Silas, we got to get out of here. We're threatening his life. We're threatening his freedom. we got to move on from Thessalonica. It's not like they wanted to move on. They just started this church three weeks ago. This church would have been fragile. It's a baby church. It's like Brother John going to Scottsdale, starting it, and three weeks later leaving. That's not a good idea. That's not a good strategic plan. But they were forced out. And, and, and that's where really we're introduced to the fact that the place in which they worship, the place in which they started a church, the place in which they preached the gospel, the place in which these baby Christians were trying to figure things out in their Christian life was hostile. Not only did they not have their pastors nearby, they have a bunch of people that are trying to arrest them. Aren't you thankful that when it comes to preaching the gospel and meeting to worship in a public place, that we don't have to fear reprisal? Aren't you thankful that, that God in his good grace has put us, Fellowship Baptist Church, in a free nation, in a free city, where we can pass the gospel around and preach it fervently as we please? Aren't you thankful that we've sent out two church planters and hopefully we'll send out more church planters in the future? And both of those church planters have started churches, successful churches in the state of Arizona, and neither one of them ever had their freedom threatened. Aren't you thankful for that? We can't take for granted the religious freedom that God has given us while we still have it. Because not all churches in all nations and all parts of the world have the kind of freedom we had to come and worship today. And we forget that sometimes, don't we? We lose sight of that. Would to God we would pray more for missionaries who had to hide out in China today. Middle East believers that had to lie to family members who are Muslim. Tell them they're going to a different place so that they can worship God without being stoned or without being excommunicated or without being totally killed. 
We're in here in the Midwest part of the United States of America and we come into these doors and we leave. How often do we pray for the missionaries who have to worship in the dark? How often do we even think of them when we come in on our cushy little seats? And our sound system. And our nice nurseries. And our kids' ministries. And the kind of music we get to hear. Kind of stuff we can put out in the parking lot to promote big events. We take that stuff for granted. And this is where the baby church was. And here's the point. If they can thrive that much in a hostile world, and I'm going to prove to you they were thriving, then Fellowship Baptist Church has no excuse. We must be inspired by this church to be a thriving church, especially since we live in such a friendly community and country as opposed to what they were living in. Would you turn back to 1 Thessalonians? Once the Apostle Paul got chased out of Thessalonica, he went on to a place called Berea. After he established a group there, a church there, he went on to Athens. And eventually the Apostle Paul got desperate to hear from this church he started in Thessalonica. He was concerned about them since he had to leave them in such a fragile state. And I, I guarantee you he was wondering whether or not they were thriving or barely surviving. So he sent Timothy. That's who he sent on a lot of, a lot of trips. He said, I want you to go see how they're doing. I want you to deliver this letter to them. I want you to give me a report. And, and, and so, so, so Timothy brought back a, a great report. Were they suffering? Yes. Were they being persecuted? Yes. But Timothy told Paul their faith and their hope and their love were thriving. And so Paul opens up this letter by marking this church with those three characteristics. And I believe God inspired it and preserved it for our church today and other churches to read from to evaluate our own church. And to learn this is what marks a thriving church. And these characteristics should be present in our church body. There are three. He starts with this one. A faith that works. Verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 are very familiar. They say, by, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know this, church, that you're saved by placing your faith in God and in God alone. And the faith that you're able to place in God, that faith was given to you as a gift. You didn't have to manufacture that. Some of you didn't even understand fully what you were placing your faith in. But God gifted you with an ability to believe in the finished work of the cross. And when you did that, you were gloriously saved by the grace of God. But we often leave out verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You've heard it said we're not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. That's why James writes, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Being alone. Listen, there's something about a growing faith on the inside that produces a fruitful work on the outside. Meaning you don't have to manufacture the fruit. You don't have to feign the outward demonstration. When your faith is growing, Paul says, your good works are thriving. 
And that's the report that Timothy brought back to Paul. They are thriving because they have a growing faith that is producing good and righteous and fruitful work. So what was the fruitful work that this church is producing? We know that it was their faith that was growing, and then then the the, the fruit just popped off the branch, kind of like trees do. But what was the fruit? Well, I could list all kinds of things, and we will in the series, but we'll stay in chapter 1 because verse 8 gives us a good fruit to apply. Here's a good work. For from you, that's the church, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith. To God's word is spread abroad, abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So one of the works that their faith produced was evangelism. So much so that Paul said, you lessen the work of my missionary team. The word got out about this church and you are sounding forth from both your life and your mouth. You are sounding forth the gospel so powerfully that there are some regions that are getting saved just from hearing about you. And so I got to ask about our church. Are we seeing the fruit of evangelism? Are we reaching the lost in our church? Well, I'm thankful to report to you that we are. I can carry the same tone of thankfulness that Paul carried because we are seeing people bringing other people to Jesus Christ. We are seeing those people get saved and baptized and discipled and assimilated into the church, giving and serving and growing, and now even bringing other people with them. Just this morning, Brother Rob introduced me to two of his co-workers that he brought to church. That's a fruit of evangelism. I hope they get saved. Travis and Melissa have been sharing the gospel with, with, with a couple that has come to our class on and off, and I get to start a basic Bible truth study with them this coming week because Travis and Melissa have reached out to them and had them in their home and, and gotten to know them and are bringing them to church, and they want to get saved. That's the fruit of evangelism. I'm thankful to report that our church is getting the job done. We're thriving in that area, and like Paul said, I'm going to say, thank you, God. Thank you for a church that is full of people who love the lost, whose faith is working out and bearing fruit. But hear me, the moment we stop reaching the lost, the moment we stop seeing those baptismal waters stirred, the moment we stop discipling, the moment we stop assimilating new members into the ministry is the moment we stop thriving. So keep on. He marked this church as a thriving church because of their faith that worked. Notice secondly in verse 3, a love that labors. Remembering without ceasing, he said, your work of faith and labor of love. When you look at that word labor, it first seems to have the same idea as the word work that we just talked about, but it's actually different. Go home and study it. The Greek word for labor is, I think I'm pronouncing it right, kopos, which if you look it up, it means this, an arduous, wearying kind of toil done to the point of exhaustion. Compare that with the the Greek word for the word work when he said they have a faith that works and that Greek word is called ergon which focuses on the deed itself, the actual work itself. Watch here. Kopos looks at the effort expended in accomplishing a particular deed. There's a difference. 
Paul is focusing and commending them not for their actual deed. Now he moves on to the effort they were demonstrating while doing that. They were straining to maximum capacity. They were laboring to the point of exhaustion. And I want you to notice who he's talking to. He's not talking to full-time paid staff members. I will tell you, we have an expectation of the staff, the same expectation I have of myself, that they are dog-tired when they go home on Sunday. I have an expectation of them that they toil to the point of exhaustion. And if they don't, they're not doing something right. Emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, even physically exhausted at times. The ministry is hard. And we expect our staff to work hard. You give generously so that we can employ couples to work in our youth ministry and maintain our facilities and run our Christian schools and write sermons and lead music and organize ministries. So we're expected to work hard. You can say amen to that. We need to. But he's not talking about full-time staff. He's talking about lay people. Full-time jobs. Unpaid at the church. Volunteers. And so I began to think, how is it these people work a full-time job, and yet they're commended by the Apostle Paul for a labor to the point of exhaustion, and he makes it clear, it's because of love. They were prompted to labor, they were motivated to labor to the point of exhaustion because they had a deep love for God and for others. A labor of love. And so I asked myself, could that be said of Fellowship Baptist Church? Are the lay people in our church laboring to the point of exhaustion in the work of God? And I can carry the same tone that Paul did. Because as I looked over our member list this week, I just started putting check marks by people who labor intensely in the work of this church. Started putting check marks next to people's names who labor in the nursery ministry. If you're in the nursery ministry and you can hear me, God bless you tonight. I see Alexa laboring to organize that ministry. I see men and women alike who watch kids that aren't their own so that we can enjoy distraction-free environments. I hope we never take that for granted. And you know if you work in the nursery ministry, that is labor. That is toilsome. That is difficult. You walk away tired. You can thank Synergy for making all them babies. I think of the music ministry, which I had the privilege of overseeing for the last nearly 14 years. You ought to come and just sit in on one of our choir practices. We don't joke around and play connect the dot the entire time. I guarantee you by the time those choir members are done after an hour worth of rehearsal, I can hear it in their voice, I can see it in their body. When I say you're dismissed, it's like an audible gasp. Thank you. They stay after Wednesday night service, 8.15, 8.45, 8.30, practicing. Not to mention those that learn special music, like the ladies did tonight. They, they practiced five or six or seven times. Not to mention the sound folks like Brother Rob and Brother Steve, and Kristen Dolan and Tammy and Dustin and Bryce and Cindy, and others that come early on Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning to practice. And to mention those that watch kids in the nursery while we practice choir. Man, just so many things go into the music ministry here. And I looked, I just started putting checks by people's name. Thank you, God. 
So many churches, and I'm not trying to badmouth others to lift up ourselves, but the truth is so many churches don't have a choir anymore because they can't get people to show up. I'm thankful for the dedication of people in that ministry. I started putting checks named to, by the name of people who, who are involved in children's and youth ministry. Some of those leaders that are up there all the time miss out nearly every Sunday morning worship service. And so many of them Sunday school teachers up there, they have forfeited the privilege of sitting in a Bible class with their peers and have taught our kids for 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 40 years. Boy, they're laboring up there. They've literally taught three and four and five generations of people. It's amazing. It's incredible. Again, to think of, uh, of those bus workers, and I, I could put a check next to their name because I've been on the bus ministry. I was a bus captain from age 15 to age 18. And boy, it's work if you do it right. Brother Sid getting out there, starting the buses in the cold. Brother Johnny up here, Johnny Stewart up here on Saturday learning how to drive a bus so he can get a CDL. Brother Sid took him out for a little over an hour or so. And that's hard work. I'm driving to the restaurant and I see our buses out there. I'm going to go eat and they're in a cold or hot bus. Dropping off kids, guys like Nate and others. I think that's labor. I think it qualifies as toilsome labor to the point of exhaustion. And I, I, I thought of people in our team ministry who come and mow edge on Saturdays in the, in the hot weather. I, I think of those in the parking lot ministry that stand outside when it's cold. Give people worship guides early in the morning and, and help people get across safely. And our greeters and I think of our ushers. Have you ever, now the choir has seen it, you probably don't see it, but the choir sees all the people that walk in late. There's got to be 40 people every Sunday. And there's Potsy and there's Steve and there's Kent and, and, and I'm missing people, I shouldn't give names, but, but if, you're, if you're part of that ministry, those guys are, aren't able to be fully present in the worship service because they're having to focus on escorting people to their seat and keeping order and all of those things. And I'm thankful for that. That's toilsome. Think of our Christian school ministry. And, and, and all the work that our, that our, that our, our, our administrator and his wife and, and his staff put in. I mean, I, I watch them toil in labor for our kids to give them a Christian education. I'm thankful for that. That's not easy. Not to mention a tons of, of behind-the-scenes stuff that so many of y'all are doing. And I echo Paul's words, thank you, Lord. It brings joy to my heart and to our pastor's heart to see a large army of unpaid laymen and women who work full-time jobs, raise families, yet love the Lord and people enough to labor in the work of the church, even to the point of exhaustion at times. And by the way, it's okay to go home from church tired. It is. It's not a bad thing. You shouldn't be weary of the work of the Lord. It's okay to be weary in the work. Of the Lord because sometimes serving other people it's tiresome sometimes be in the hands of the church or the feet of the church or the eyes of the church or the ears of the church just ask your legs if they ever get tired from carrying your body around sometimes it is tired the work of the ministry is tired so don't get discouraged because you're tired after you go home on a Sunday that could just mean that you were spent for the work of Christ that day and I'm not saying that we ought to get in the deep end and just overtax ourselves with a million ministries and not be good at any of them and just be tired every Sunday. That's just foolish. 
We got enough people to where you don't have to be involved in 11 ministries. But boy, it's okay to walk away tired every now and then. And if you never go home tired, you never go home tired. It could be because you don't have the copos version of labor going on in your life. It could be because you're over in the shallow end of involvement. The people that are really thriving are over in the deep end. And it is tiresome. But it's what I call a good tired. A good tired. So Paul said there, there, there's a faith that works. There's a love that labors. Let me give you one more. He says there's a hope that endures. A hope that endures. Look at the last part of verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The Greek word used for patience speaks of endurance, steadfastness. Specifically, the implication is that it's an ability to withstand under severe pressure. Obviously, Paul knew the pressure and persecution this church was facing. Look down at verse 6, would you? And ye became followers of, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. So from the moment they trusted Christ, they were under an immense amount of pressure. And then Paul was forced to lead them and couldn't be there to pastor them through this affliction. Yet it brought him great joy to his heart when Timothy reported that they were enduring. They were standing fast. They were thriving under pressure. And you got to ask, how did they do that? Especially when the average Christian in America today buckles underneath the pressures of a head cold or strep throat. What enabled them to hold fast and endure? Paul said it was hope. Hope. Think about hope as we explain it today. It refers to a desire accompanied by expectation. Isn't that true? We might say, Bradley, we don't have to say it now, but we might eventually have to say, I hope the stock market turns around. Justin, we might say, I hope the stock market turns around. Thankfully, we don't have to say that now, but if it's this good now, it's not going to be this good later. That would be a desire accompanied by expectation, right? Well, hope in a biblical sense is deeper than that. It's desire accompanied by expectation, but that expectation is built upon a biblical fact or promise. So what was the hope that enabled the Thessalonians to stand fast under such severe pressure? Pressure of which we probably will never see in our lifetime. Well, he said it was hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentioned in the sight of God the Father. I believe Paul's referring to a great theme of 1 Thessalonians, and that is the hope of Christ's return. Their glorification kept them going when they didn't feel like going any longer. So when Timothy went to minister to this church on Paul's behalf, and he came back to give Paul the report, he was pleased to tell Paul, hey, they haven't quit. They haven't given up. Even though they've been constantly afflicted, they are enduring because of their hope in the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then if hopeful endurance is a characteristic of a thriving church, we need to ask ourselves if that's a characteristic of Fellowship Baptist Church. Are we as a church enduring through difficulty based on our hope, the return of Jesus Christ? Or are we as a church characterized by people that give up when it gets hard? Well, I went back to my church members list. I just began to look through names. Think about all the folks in our church and the valleys and trials they've walked through. And yet they're still coming. They're still serving. They're still singing. They're still giving. 
that are still full of joy. I'm looking at our church family right now, and I could start pointing at names, pointing at people that have went through deep, 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 deep pain. I wouldn't do that because I don't want to open up a wound. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to leave anybody out. But I begin to write down some things next to these people's names. Some of them have lost children. Children that they never met. Children that they didn't meet. Some of them have lost spouses. Some of them lost spouses to cancer. Some of them have, have, have woke up in the morning next to a dead spouse. Some of them have got a phone call saying their spouse was killed in an accident. People in this church, some have lost siblings. Some have lost parents. Some have had to struggle through divorce and the pain of that and the mess of that. Some have, by God's grace, have survived having to get a divorce, but, but, but you have had to walk through deep, deep marriage struggles. Some in here have endured with hope through health difficulties. Some of you in here have battled through cancer. You've been the caregiver of somebody that battles with cancer. You're still here. Some of you have had heart disease and heart attacks and diabetes and kidney failure, chronic pain, back surgeries. I think of some that have endured betrayal and abuse. Think of some that have had to endure financial disappointments that almost just killed you. Puts you under an amount of stress and burden that you didn't think you could handle. Lost a job unexpectedly. Went from the top of the mountaintop economically to the valley. I know we haven't had a perfect track record when it comes to enduring through difficulty, but when I look at our congregation, then I consider everything that some of you have been through, and then to see you still serving, and still singing, and still giving, and still smiling, and still loving, I have to say to my church, like Paul said to her, his, thank you, God. Thank you for your church with people whose hope is in the Lord and not their circumstances, whose hope rests in the fact that soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Brother Mike and I had the privilege of going out and visiting with Brother John Malin last Friday. Brother Mike, I think I'm safe to say we walked away probably more blessed than we were a blessing to him. And we got in there and once he figured out who we were, boy, we just couldn't get him to be quiet. Just talking and talking and talking. And he wasn't just like shooting the bull about nonsense. It was all biblical content, was it not? It wasn't like, well, how's the car doing? How are your kids doing? It was all about what God's doing in his life. He, 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 he at one point, told me that he brought the nurses in there and he's got them doing this victory chant. This is after he told me he wanted me to sing victory in Jesus at his funeral. I'll fly away at his funeral and in the presence of Jehovah. He said that, Brother Bill, come up here for a second. Brother Bill and me talked about this victory chant. 
I can't remember it. I need you to do it for us. This is your only chance to sing Don't Blow It. This is what, this is what he said. Hey, Monty, this is my chance, buddy. <laughs> Monty and I are barred from choir. I just that's, that's right. But, and you'll understand why when I do this chant. But John always does this song. He actually gets all the help from uh, every time they come through, all the other people there that are waiting on him, these nurses and stuff, they have to do this chant with him. And he goes, strawberry shortcake, huckleberry pie, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. That's how you spell it. Here's how you yell it. Victory, victory, victory! Yeah, yeah, nice. Good tenor voice, Brother Bill. I get away with lying once a year. That was my lie. He was talking about his victory in Jesus. Not some high school chant. It's victory in Jesus. He told me that every day he gets up, sits in his chair, and he pointed to the window there in his room. He said, every day I look out that window and I just think about heaven. And here's what he said. He said, I can't believe that God's going to let me be a part of heaven. And this is a man that, that, I don't know how long he has to live, but if you go spend some time with him, you know that he's, in the, he, he's getting towards the end. And yet he's just rattling off hopeful phrases after hopeful phrases, and you can tell it's sincere. It's not put on. How? How's he enduring this? The guy's hands are like this. He's 120 pounds. When he's standing straight up, which he hadn't stood straight up in years, he's nearly six feet tall. You know how he does it? A hope that he will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the only hope we have to endure through the pressures of our life. And I look upon you, church, and it thrills my heart. And it encourages me to know what many of you are walking through and have walked through from childhood through adulthood, and you are still serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why I believe God is allowing me to pastor a thriving church. And I, of, most, uh, of all men, feel most blessed and humbled, like Paul did, that I get to have some type of influence in the people's lives that make this such a thriving church. And it's in the deepest part of Jenny and I's heart. God will let us and help us. We want to lead this place to continue to be a thriving church. Not a perfect one, but one that thrives. One that has the faith that works. A love that labors. And a hope that endures. Here's a good way to respond to the message tonight. We're going to have an invitation. A good way to respond is just to come find a place at the altar and thank God for your church. Thank God for the pastors who've paved the way, men and women who have paved the way to make this church, not an average church, or a monument of mediocrity, but a thriving church.
And when you're thanking God for a thriving church that you get to come to and your family gets to come to and your kids get to come to, hey, ask God to help you do your part to keep it a thriving church. Say, God, help me not to take a single Sunday for granted when I get to worship and serve in a church that is growing. God, keep me attached. God, keep me involved. God, keep me in love with you. Keep me hoping in your, your, your return. Help me to be everything I need to be so our church can be everything it needs to be. I think we all need to clean off a spot. Grab your wife, grab your husband, grab your kids and say, God, help our church to continue to be a thriving church. I'm going to pray for my wife. Tonight I'm going to ask God to help us to do our part. To lead this church to do just that. Would you stand to your feet? Father, I love you.